We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Tonight we're coming to you with our first big post-mortem. Giants recap. Look, the Giants lost the game to the Cowboys earlier in the season, but I think at that point we were still playing with a lot of house money, and it was a good game. Honestly, I was at that game. They could have won that game. Thought they would after the Saquon Barkley long touchdown run. They didn't. Then they lost the game to the Seahawks where it just felt like, all right, Richie James fumbled it twice. That really kind of screwed that game. Not to say they definitely would have won without it, but it was a fine game. But this one against the Lions, I mean, look, the Lions have won two in a row going into this game, but they are not a good football team overall. The defense for the Lions is terrible. I know they played good today. I know they specifically played good against the run. I did not think the Lions' pass defense was good at all, but they were good against the run, and they made two key turnovers. But this was not a good game to get blown out in. And the Giants essentially got blown out, and they put on some garbage points at the end. Um, and again, turnovers played a key role, and the Giants gave three turnovers to zero. But this was a real post. This is a big-time loss for the Giants. We both... Nick and I predicted a win here. We expected a win. It was very important to get a win in this game. And that's the first part of this podcast. The second part of this podcast is addressing the injury situation, what it means moving forward, especially as they roll into a game. But before I say any of that, before we get into the, I do want to like pull it back here and keep things in perspective, Nick, because I see a lot of doom and gloom on Twitter right now in my DMs, in the replies, and I understand it. If I was a fan, I am a fan right now. It was tough to leave today feeling anything but doom and gloom, especially when you factor in the injuries. But when you take a step back, there's so many reasons to be positive about where the Giants are at heading into this Thanksgiving game. First of all, they're seven and three and they're facing another seven and three team. It's a seven and three, seven and three matchup this Thursday. That is a those are the, just from like the overall standpoint. Look, these are two of the most winning teams in the NFL right now. Now, whatever you want to say, the Giants have an easy schedule. I don't care. But right now, these are two of the most winning teams. Also, as Feliciano said in the postgame presser and an update on that, because I listened to all the pressers, Dable's presser, by the way, man, I've, I haven't seen him that annoyed this entire time. He was annoyed. He didn't want to answer these questions. He was frustrated, as anyone would be at the postgame presser. And I, there were some, I just wish they were, could have had some questions back. But Feliciano mentioned he's going to do everything in his power to play on Thursday, which we'll talk about, by the way, in its own right. But he also said, think about it like this. 
We were three and one in the first quarter because I've I've heard this before with past Giants regimes, Nick's, where like the players or the coaches talk about it's all about quarters for us. Three like the first four like four game quadrants. Now with the seventeenth game, that throws it off a little bit. He's like, think about it. we were three and one, then we were three and one in the second quarter, and we're still one and one in this quarter. He's like, come back to me after the next two games and talk to me then, and let's see where we're at because the Giants still have an opportunity to beat the Cowboys. The Giants still have an opportunity after that to beat the Commanders is right after the Cowboys, right? Home Commanders, right? I'm pretty sure. I believe it is against the commanders. Yes. Yeah, and then Eagles and another. Commanders. Yep. And so they could still f- close this bad boy out three and one. They could close it out two and two. So we just have to keep it in perspective. And then the final thing I want to say before we turn it over, Nick, and then you could talk about your overall thoughts, feelings, and then we'll get into some specifics is we are so freaking far ahead of where we thought we would be and where we should should honestly be right now in this regime, right? In the Joe Shane, Brian Dable regime. We are so far ahead. I mean, he had nothing to work with from a cap standpoint. I've tweeted about this before. I mean, they've, it's not just about the 27 million against the cap they sunk into Galladay. It's the 50 million in dead cap that they have. That are players that are not on the roster to begin the season. The Solders, the Logan Ryans, the Bradberries, the, the Blake Martinez is all these guys accruing dead cap. So he had like nothing to work with. He had a 60% of the deck to work with Shane. He's already grounded out for seven wins for us in the first year of his regime. And on top of all that, they've dealt with key injuries over and over and over again. Adore Jackson today, Xavier McKinney, everything that's gone on the offensive line, the receivers that have gotten injured, including Sterling Shepard, including Wandell today. And so given all the injuries, given how little we work with, you're still so far ahead. So I still feel like it's so hard. I see all this doom and gloom. I think Dan, Dan Duggan, Nick posted about this a couple minutes ago or an hour ago. He's like, man, reading through my DMS or, and, and replies when I got back, you'd feel like this was a, a 2021 game. And it's not guys. We had one bad loss today, but this is not 2021. We're seven and three and still in the thick of this playoff race. And so I just want to take a step back and still feel grateful about where we're at as hard as it is after a game like today. No one thought the New York Giants were going to be where they are right now. If you would have told anybody that the Giants were going to be 7-3 and three going into the Thanksgiving game against the Dallas Cowboys, who are also 7-3, and three, you would have called them crazy. So I think that is the positive that you can take away. But I also, and I'm sure you do as well, Dan, understand why so many people are frustrated. This was deemed a trap type of game. You're at home against a Detroit Lions team that... I don't even think is as good as the New York Giants. And the Giants aren't even that good on paper to begin with. But your coaching staff was outcoached. You were outplayed. The Giants typically win by being very efficient and mistake-free. And that's the way the Detroit Lions won. They were able to establish the run. They were able to score, what, 17 points off of turnovers. They took advantage of the fact that the Giants were shooting themselves in the foot with dumb penalties throughout the first half. So it was almost like the Lions took the Giants' script and just made it their own. And that was one of the main reasons why the Detroit Lions came away with this 31-18 victory. You're right. And it's not like if you're not one of these Mahomes teams, like you saw what Mahomes did tonight, right? With that one minute and 37 second drive touchdown is you knew he was going to do it. He did. it. If you're not one of those teams, it's really across the NFL. You can't afford to be a team. Every not that you can't afford to be every single team. Basically, Nick, I feel like besides like Mahomes and maybe Allen when he's perfect and he's healthy is in a situation where if you lose a turnover battle three to nothing, you lose the game almost always. Like Mahomes digs you out of those spots. I've seen him do it before. Some guys can, but you're almost always going to lose it. So you talked about it. Like Lions took the Giants formula. I feel like this is what every team wants as their formula. And the Giants have just been 
on the right side of that for so many of these games this year. Today they weren't, and it's just what Brian Dable said in his post-game presser. He's like, don't talk to me about the passing yards. I don't want to hear about the passing yard stats. We it doesn't matter. Like we didn't execute how we want. What he means by this, we didn't win the turnover battle. We, like you said, gave up 17 points off turnovers, didn't force a single turnover. And it's the penalties on top of that. Now, of course, some were bogus and the pen- penalty disparity is a little out of whack because the lions weren't called for some calls. They should have overall. I don't think the giants lost this game at all because of the refs. And I don't even think it was that crazy egregious. Anyway, they just missed some curls in the game, whatever they called some things one way for the giants. It didn't make sense. They didn't call for the Lions point is they still got the penalties the giants and they turned the ball over and that's the recipe for losing in the nfl we are not a there are very few teams that have a wide margin when it comes to losing the turnover battle with three to none you lose a turnover battle three to one you're probably not winning a football game and i did feel like the momentum flipped a bit when daniel jones threw that interception to aiden hutchinson i really did feel like that it also flipped a bit when Adoree jackson got injured on the punt return because then the defense changed and you even saw it in today's game i think this was courtesy of doug analytics I think for the first time ever, Julian Love played 100% of snaps, and then not a single defensive back played more than 58% of the snaps. That is a really weird stat. Like, that hasn't been the case all year for the Giants. That shows that, like, when when Adori went out, and then when um, Moreau went out later with an injury, they were just like, throw their hands up. Let's put in Rodarius Williams right now, and let's see what's going to – like, they were just – they don't have the depth for this. They The communication is going to break down, and so – you know, the injury that those were the two key moments for me in the game that turned the momentum. Um, but like you said, that's the recipe the Lions took from the Giants. And in general, it's a winning recipe in the NFL. It's a recipe that every yeah. coaching staff would be ecstatic to follow. And you're right about the Adore Jackson injury. And man, we'll probably get into that just throughout the week. That's something that we hated. We talked about it, I think, on the defensive review podcast from last week about how it doesn't make any sense to put your star cornerback out there. That's going to be one of the biggest points of emphasis from the New York Giants media and everybody who covers the New York Giants. And it should be. It's an egregious misstep, in my opinion, by Coach Dable. I get you want to put your best guy out there, but you have to be judicious with your top talent and not put an injury-prone player like a Dory Jackson into a situation that has higher probabilities than normal to get injured. And that's exactly what this coaching staff just did to their star cornerback. That is egregious, in my opinion. And in terms of the Daniel Jones interception, that totally flipped the script, man, because that gave the Detroit Lions a short field and what happened? Jamal Williams punched in that touchdown. Right. Giants punted at their six plays at third and five. Wandell Robinson. I don't think that was uh, pass interference on the defense, but they called it on Micah McFadden. So it's like it's a little bit Same inconsistent. Call. Yeah. Same exact call. I didn't think either of them was pass interference in that situation, but still, whatever. Punt the ball, and then what happens? Detroit drives right back down the field. Another Jamal Williams touchdown. And then they double dip because they received the football. So it was right. like just a confluence of a bunch of different crappy things that happened at the end of that second half right there. And it was all kind of facilitated by the fact that Daniel Jones off the play action just didn't read Aiden Hutchinson. That was a misstep on his part. It happens. Yeah, it was. It was a misstep on his part. He talked about it. They asked him like three questions about him. The post game presser. He just said the same thing. I just didn't read the guy. I didn't see the guy. And he said it was a great play by Hutchinson. It was. It was a great play by Hutchinson. But those are the type of interceptions that people have been getting Jones with throughout at times. Not this year yet. Thankfully it's the first time this, well, no, it's not actually he threw the interception against Jacksonville where he completely missed the middle, the middle defender in a, on an RPO where it was even more egregious than this one. And luckily we got a roughing the passer. So we got that interception back, but that's still part of it. That's I think for me, that's going, if like, if they invest in Jones long-term and he's our guy for the next five years, Nick, I'm not going to think those are going anywhere. Those are going to happen from time to time with Daniel Jones, in my opinion. He is a quarterback who throws those types of interceptions. And that's something Dable was like that. You know, the turnovers are 
we can't have these turnovers. And Jones knows it. He said the same thing. Like, it's inexcusable. I can't do it. Um, but like you said, it did flip the script in this game. It changed the momentum in a lot of ways. But it's not the re reason they lost this game. You spoke about it at front. There was multiple turnovers. There were three to begin with. Like you said, there were the penalties. Like you even mentioned they were outcoached which I think we can get to because I think that's really important. A lot of people have a lot of question marks when it comes to the play calling on both sides of the ball, offense and defense with Kafka and with Wink Martindale. But I do want to talk before we go into any of that since you touched on and you started the Dory Jackson thing. So the Jackson thing to me is this. They asked Abel about it like four times in the presser. He just kept saying the same thing like, it's football. We, they're, we, they're, you know, I've been on teams where we've played like a starting receiver there before. I've been on teams where we've played a starting D-back. But this is not the same situation. They've already lost McKinney from that secondary. That's the veteran leadership. The only one left after that. You have Julian Love, but you need a Dory Jackson after that. You also know as a coach, like this is not just any starter for you, right? This is your only really lockdown starting cornerback playing unbelievable football. It's not the same as just a starting wide receiver or something like that. And so it means a lot different to that. And the third thing is like nobody asked Dable, which I really wish they would have. They just kept asking him that same question. Instead of saying like, now that you've seen, now that this happened, and he might have just said, no, I'm not a results guy. I'm a process guy. And that's fine. But I wanted them to ask him, now that this happened, will you change your opinion moving forward? Because this is not a logical decision to play a Dory Jackson and punt return team. The Giants have not been good at blocking these punt returns all year long. We fumbled two before this with a Dory Jackson. There's very little to gain other than just fair catching and not fumbling. This is the NFL right now. There's some good return teams. The Patriots don't want a game on a return, but we are not a good return team. We can't punt the ball. We can't return it. We have been bad all year in that. We had like one good Brightwell return. That's literally it. And the Jets, that's it. That's it. Like it's the only time. And then we've had multiple fumbles where we lost the ball. So it's like, then if you just did an EPA on our return game, I'd love maybe Dougie analytics. If you're listening, I know you are. Do find out my, find out the Giants EPA on returns this year. And that include the Brightwell kick return. That was like, what, like 35 yards? Oh, great. Include the two Richie James lost fumbles and then find a way to value the injury because that's a big factor in this too. Because <laughs> that's part of it though. Like, you know, on punt returns, you said it yourself, Nick, a few minutes ago, there's a higher likelihood of injury. It's a bang, bang play. People are coming in from a distance with speed building and obviously speed and force. And it's just like, everyone knew this was a horrific idea. Then we did it anyway. And now he's out for three to five weeks and we have no, and now Moreau might be out too. Like he just leaves them in such an awful shitty spot for nothing. They gain nothing from this. And then the stupidest part about it to me, Nick, is they just throw Richie James back in there after like, what the fuck is going on here? Richie James <laughs> wasn't good enough to start as your punt returner, but now, now that you lost some guy to injury, you're willing to put him back there. It makes no sense at all. Like how the hell did they not figure anything else out between when he fumbled those two against Seattle until now that any, there any idea is better than putting your star cornerback back there. And now they lost him for three to five weeks. And it's just an absolute disaster. You knew it right away. It was hurt. I mean, you, you didn't know it was a knee that makes things to me even worse. We'll see what happens. They say three to five weeks, dude, but this is corner, man. This ain't fucking, this ain't, I'm sorry. I have a lot of cursing so far. This ain't D line where Leonard Williams comes back. This ain't O line where Neil comes back. They don't have to move all that much. You got to run your whole ass off and break on the ball over and over as a corner. This might be a lingering injury for the rest of the year, if we're going to be honest, which is incredibly unfortunate. And somehow it's another, this is like the team of MCLs this year. It's a slew of MCLs, so like all their frontline guys. But man, that was the first, to me, the first big misstep uh, of the season for Brian Dable. It's the biggest mistake in the Brian Dable, Joe Shane era. 
so far it, easily, right? Like this is your star cornerback and you're putting him into a position to get injured. I mean, Richie James got injured on that second fumble back right. in Seattle. And, sure. and that injury shouldn't be an indication that this position typically has a lot of injuries because it's something that we've seen. And it's been a point of emphasis around the NFL for so long on kick returns and punt returns, but just putting a Dory Jackson back there. I'm not sure if Brian Dable told him like, look, you fair catch it every single time. And then a Dory Jackson said, screw it. I think I have it. That's possibility. But do not even put your star player in the position to make that type of mistake. And it's something that I feel like is going to plague the Giants now. I mean, if it is a sprained MCL, what is that? Three to five weeks we're looking at. And as you said, the cornerback position is a lot different than other positions. And this could linger. I mean, man, this is uh, terrible. Because who the hell are the Giants going to trot out there at cornerback if Fabian Moreau? We're relying on Fabian Moreau right now to, to be healthy for this game on a short week. For us to be happy, to give us delight. You're looking at Nick McLeod. You're looking at Cordell Flott. You're looking at young players and unproven players. Rodarius Williams. Rodarius Williams coming off of a torn ACL. You're looking at these types of guys against CeeDee Lamb, Dak Prescott, and Michael Gallup on national television. Like That is a crap situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it somewhat optimistic here, at least looking forward. To I, look, we're all really excited about this Thanksgiving. We're like, oh, wow, Giants playing on Thanksgiving. Let's just hope we get there and it means something. Well, it still means an insane amount. We're there and it means something. We locked that in weeks ago. The problem is we're now going in. I just it's hard to not. And, I'm, and you know, you never know in the NFL. There's weird games where like this could be like, oh, my God, somehow the Giants won this game because like weird crap happened and like they were counted out and again the good news is now they're back to being the counted out team the Giants seem to be much better in general when they're the team that people <laughs> count out and they're the underdog instead of this week where they're expected to win and even last week they're expected to be the Texans they beat the Texans they could have beat them by more let's be honest that well, like the this the the commanders today I keep calling them the skins the commanders today or I want to call them the skins I just it's so hard to say commanders the dumbest name ever the commanders today like pretty handily beat the, the Texans and it wasn't even it was a much easier game than the Giants had last week so you want that but you didn't get that but you never know it's the NFL but I will say this like you said it's just like we went in we knew it was going to be a meaningful game but now it's like hard to feel very confident based on the injury so let's transition to the more injuries and let's talk about all those I want to talk about the next one the saddest one the second saddest one, the, the saddest one, the, the Odori is the maddest one, right? You can put maddest label on that. The saddest label, it just because that shouldn't have happened. It was a terrible foresight. The mad, the saddest one is Wondell Robinson because he has his breakout game. One of the first, was he the first Giants receiver to have a hundred yard game? I think yes. he was. Unreal. It's week 11. We had our first hundred yard receiver. It's Wondell Robinson. Actually, the craziest thing about this, Nick, is he had an amazing game. I liked what he did. I thought he had some, a little bit more of the layup routes. I think there was another receiver in this roster who had an even better game than him. Like Darius Slayton, that man, the route he ran to get the route he ran to get open. I, I don't remember it now. We'll see it on the film and we'll obviously talk a lot about it this week. But the route he ran was the best route any Giants receiver ran this season. I don't remember what it was now. I think they were backed up in their own end zone. It was on one of their like uh, middle touchdown drives. And then the, the adjustment in the air to the back shoulder down the field by Jones. Really great plays. Wandel had some great plays too, and he looked really great as well. So I think they both just played at a super high level today against the Lions. We had, I mean, dude, like even if we lost this game, but we went out of this with Wandel and Darius playing like that, I'd feel like, all right, we're going into Dallas and maybe we can win in some kind of shootout because we got finally have two receivers playing good ball for the Giants at the same time. But of course, it's MetLife. The turf picks him up, and now he has a knee injury. We don't know how bad it is, but the dude has a breakout 100 yard game, looks good out there. And now, hopefully, it's not a bad injury. But, I mean, the early signs are, are at least suggesting that this could be a long-term thing for him, unfortunately. 
just terrible, man. Nine catches for a hundred yards on the dot for Wandell wow. Robinson. Was probably going to get more if he didn't get hurt, even though that was a late game injury. And I felt like he looked explosive. He was showing contact balance, bouncing yeah. off of tackle attempts. And dude, this guy's like five foot seven. And it sucks. We don't know the severity of this injury as we're recording this, but there are like some indications that it could be like season ending. I mean, he, t- or he Instagrammed, I think a picture of him on the turf with like a frown face, yeah. not a great sign, man. And that sucks so bad because he is so promising. And like we've said, man, the passing attack should run through Wandale Robinson. Right. And we've kind of seen that with Darius Slayton being just excellent through these last couple games after being buried on the depth chart. And now it's just Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins. And then Kenny Galladay, who we could probably talk about a bit, a little bit later, it's at least one encouraging sign that he what matched the season totals that he's had all the previous games that he's played so far this year. Season high catches, I thought, with two. Yeah, he's only had two catches yeah. on the year though, prior to yeah. this. Oh, we matched geez. it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I didn't even realize it was that bad. But yeah. I mean, to be fair, as Brian Dable said after the game, because they asked him about call, he's like, he did all the opportunities he got, he caught. And that is true. He did what he did with the opportunities. Now the question becomes when you watch the film, could he have created more opportunities with the routes he was afforded as far as separation goes? And that's something we'll just be able to see on the film. But you're right. He will potentially have to step up into a much bigger role this week now. I mean, he the thing is, I think they're just going to rely on Richie James, honestly, because yeah. he plays more that one. But I would prefer to see Hodgins, Galladay, and, and Slayton. But then it's like, who's playing the slot? I think Slayton can play the slot. I don't know. Or even I think you can get interesting. Like they they have so many of those like sets where it's like three receivers, tight stack, and then like one guy on the outside. Like it doesn't really matter who your slot. You don't really need a traditional slot in those. I don't feel like they could have both those guys on the field. I honestly think their best bet is Slayton, Hodgins, Galladay over Slayton, uh, Hodgins or Galladay, and then Richie James. I'm not I'm not huge on James out there personally. I just I want size. I want to be able to block. I just don't know with this offense. I think you really need to know where you have to be at all times. And Richie James knows that. I mean, that I know Richie James, Richie James isn't necessarily the most exciting receiver out there, but we've seen him have success. And I think he's the leading receiver on this team. Maybe Darius Slayton overtook him after this performance where Darius Slayton had five catches for 86 yards on 10 targets. Wanda Robinson finished this game with 13 freaking targets, man. Like uh, it's just so unfortunate yeah. for the kid. But if I had to choose my 11 personnel package, I honestly, I think I would go Hodgins, James Slayton, and then have Kenny Galladay be the guy who mixes in with Slayton and Hodgins. And that just basically puts Richie James on the field all the time, which I don't necessarily love, but I know he has experience in that Wandell Robinson role and actually successful experience at that this season. He does. I, I just like for me, it's like I don't even know what value that role even has if it's not Wandell Robinson out there. I saw it earlier this year with Richie James. It wasn't an explosive role. Like it moves the chains at times, but I almost wonder if you can carve something out for like an outside guy or a bigger guy to move the chains in that same exact way. For me, I'm almost like more curious if you want like and this sucks because he's not good at, at a lot of what it takes to be a receiver. But like Marcus Johnson on the field, just because that at least gives the stretch element because you still if you do have Galladay and Hodgins on, you're losing the stretch element because they don't have much speed either of them too. So that's like, I guess what James can add. But I feel like James doesn't really add much of that element either. Defenses aren't really at all respecting Richie James as a deep threat. They were respecting Wandell. Like we saw on film, like there were times where they would have to bracket or they would take, like Wandell would run the seam vertically and the safety would come. I don't really see the same. I didn't really, at least earlier in the season, see the same thing with James. And I don't think defenses respect yeah. him that same way. Seattle so, and Houston both did that against Wando Robinson. Wando, right. They were focused on Wando, and we'll have to see the all 22 and check out the YouTube. We'll be breaking it down. 
I don't know if this team did that, the Detroit Lions. I didn't see that right. on the broadcast, but there's a lot to get into when it, in terms of the All-22, how the Lions shut down Saquon Barkley. I mean, I'm just looking at it through a broadcast lens, Dan. It, it just seemed like they were slanting a lot at the line of scrimmage, something Houston did yeah. unsuccessfully last week. And then it just created a lot of... Uh, a lot of miscommunication between the double team and climb type of blocks with Shane Lemieux in the beginning of the game and John Feliciano. I felt like that left side of the line, there was always somebody in the lap of Saquon Barkley and the offensive line, specifically the interior offensive line just had like a horrendous day, but we'll have to confirm that uh, once we see the all 22, just exactly the methodology, they did have a horrendous day. We don't need to watch the all 22 to know that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, that's pretty obvious, I guess, but I will say this, there's a lot to unpack on the offensive line, so I want to get there and I want to brush over too much of it. But I first want to close out with a little more on receiver because we did get a report before the game that Odell Beckham Jr. has narrowed his search down to two teams, at least according to the report, the Giants and the Cowboys. Now he will not be, he'll be taking official visits with both teams, but it will not be until after the Thanksgiving game between the Giants and the Cowboys. So obviously, and he wasn't going to play anyway, even if he signed this week. So he's not in the short term potential fix you know mix i would say at wide receiver but now this could potentially alter how aggressive they want to get with beckham it's going to be really interesting in my opinion to see what happens on this beckham negotiation front because from shane's perspective he's a in a negotiation because there's a bidder there's another bidder the cowboys and it's jerry jones who's not a shy bidder b he's joe shane and he's always thinking about the future and odo beckham has said he wants a multi-year deal now you're talking about signing a near 30-year-old receiver. Is he already? He might be 30. He's I think he is 30, yes. 30 30-year-old receiver coming up, I think, three ACL tears. Is it three? It's at least two. It might be three ACL tears, hip injury. I mean, if you look at his injury history, it's as extensive as it gets. It's either two or three ACLs. Nick's, I think, looking it up. Um, I think you might find an injury predictor. They have, like, the whole slew of injuries. Uh, I know there's hip. There's either two or three ACLs, 30 years old, asking for a deal that's going to keep him in one place for a few years, maybe three, four years. So now it's like everybody keep talking about, oh, with Odell Beckham, where are the Giants going to find the money? They don't have any salary cap space. Don't worry about that. If they want to sign him, they can. They can do exactly what they did with the Kenny Galladay deal last offseason and, le and leave an insanely low cap number for the first year, which is what they would do with Beckham in the first year, and then push all that cap hit back. So that also gives you the kind of perspective and scope that if they do choose to do that, right, if they sign Odell Beckham, the only way to fit it is if they have a super low cap number for this year. So what does that mean? It's pretty identical. It's not going to be the same length. I mean, it's not going to be the same price. It's not going to be three years, 72 million, but it's the exact same process and theory and strategy as the Galladay deal. Small cap the first year, push all the cap it back to future years to the point where there's a ton of dead cap and you can't cut the player if he gets re-injured or isn't performing. So just keep all that in mind with the Odell Beckham thing. It's not as bang, bang as it seems. It's not as, oh, Giants are seven and three. This guy's a receiver. He can immediately help us. It's Joe Shane has to think more so about the future. He doesn't want a Gettleman this team. I know that. I mean, he doesn't want a Galladay contract to part two. Not saying Beckham will be that. Beckham may sign with the Giants or the Cowboys and stay healthy for four years. Who knows? It's football. It's impossible to predict. But I know it's going to be something he's considering. But I did want to get your opinion on what your thoughts are on the that side of the Beckham situation and just the idea that he's narrowed it down to the Cowboys and the Giants. And does your opinion change at all with Wandell out as far as if you want them to go after him? I think they should have always pursued him, but it's always going to come down to money with Odell Beckham Jr. Like Joe Shane has spoken about it and he was like, yeah, let's get our people in contact with him. I think he said that during the bye week, like when someone asked him about Odell Beckham Jr. And when he was in the building visiting Sterling Shepard after Shep's injury. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if it makes a ton of sense from a longevity standpoint from the way Joe Shane has approached everything so far this season. I think it makes a lot of sense from a 2022 perspective, yeah. yep. right? Like, can the New York Giants win the Super Bowl this year? I don't know. Does Odell Beckham Jr. healthy give you a better chance? Absolutely, he does. So if you want to actually go after it this year, adding Odell Beckham Jr. is going to assist you, and it's going to definitely help you in that quest. But everything Joe Shane has done has kind of been geared towards the future so far. So this would deviate from everything else that he's done. Doesn't mean that he won't do it, but it does kind of lead me to say, who is he bidding against? The Cowboys and Jerry Jones, who will move a freaking mountain to get him there? Oh, that that's that makes me think that he's not going to end up here. If you were to ask me, if the Giants signed Odell Beckham Jr. right now, how would you feel? I think my first word would be excited. But there would always be that little freaking elf in the back of my mind being like, is this going to be another Kenny Galladay type of situation? Now, I don't think he's going to fall off like Kenny Galladay did or anything like that. But when you move all the cap back like they like the Giants did with Kenny Galladay, and we've chastised Dave Gettleman for that. I think you're playing with fire with a 30-year-old receiver who has had as many injuries as Odell Beckham Jr. has had. doesn't mean it can't work out, but it does mean it's definitely not a certainty that it will because injuries happen, and this is a player who has seen plenty of them. I mean, I just pulled up his injury predictor that you were talking about. Yeah. It is freaking so damn long, bro. Right it is now. so damn long. He, I think it's only two torn ACLs, by the way, but there are okay. several hamstrings, several ankle type of injuries, a lot of hip injuries as well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, man, if, if I hear after the Thanksgiving game that Odell Beckham comes back to the Giants, I'd be freaking excited. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Be on the lookout for the Win Bet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During Win Bet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on Win Bet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through Win Bet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1 800 522 4700. Yeah, it's a it's a great like question. We haven't talked about this side of the Beckham thing yet. Um, I think I would be a little bit more nervous than you, to be honest. I think there's so much. It's just it's so risky to sign a thirty. Oh, it is. I'm injuries. talking about for right now, dude. Oh, for right now, there's nothing to yeah, anybody no, excited. A hundred percent. Because I'm only talking about 2022. Right. It would be excitement for 2022. But I'm not, I don't have delusions of grandeur about this New York Giants team. I don't think they're going to go and win the Super Bowl. But I do think they can maybe, if they get hot at the right time, 
with Odell Beckham Jr., they'll have a better chance. Yeah. Right now, though, I, I like the New York Giants, right? I think they're okay, but they have so many injuries and they don't have the playmakers to actually do anything in the playoffs. If you shut down the run, if you shut down Saquon Barkley, which is what we're seeing, the Giants don't have the playmakers to challenge any of these teams. If Odell Beckham is, you know, 90% of what he was last year with the Rams, then the Giants have that playmaker on the outside, which is going to open up the rushing attack, which can help this overall offense, which can help Daniel Jones. And if the defense can get healthy and the defensive line can continue to play at a high level, who knows what could happen? Do I think right. they're going to win the Super Bowl even with that? More than likely not. But their chances of doing so are definitely improved. But in terms of the long-term view, it would be one of those situations where I'm like, look, I don't really love the long-term view. I don't. But I'm hoping that Joe Shing constructed this well enough to not absolutely screw himself in the future. So it would be one of those types of things, but it would definitely be 2022 in mind if the Giants do sign this individual. Yeah, for sure. It's impossible. Yeah, you you got to be excited about 2022. I I don't think I think even people would be like, oh, it would take it would be hard for him to fit in. Remember the last time? I was like, I don't think you have to worry about any of that stuff. He would fit in nice. They design stuff for him. This is a much better coaching staff that will have a much better plan for how to get him involved early. And like Nick said, he put on good film with the Rams. For me, the only reason I said I would be a little cautious and, and nervous about it would be just the long term play there with a player who's had this many injuries, obviously, and that's. You know, something that's impossible not to think about when 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 you're talking about Odell Beckham Jr., especially because we know, like you talked about, they have to front load this cap, this cap and push push it back. So we'll see what happens there. And I actually think like, you know, no one thought the Giants were going to win the Super Bowl in 2007. I'm not comparing those two teams because they had a much better yeah. roster then. But like when you make a move like Beckham, you are making a play to be that like spoiler playoff team. And even if they could get one win in the playoffs, it would be a really I think it would help a lot toward not only building the confidence of the team and the quote unquote culture, because I do believe winning does build culture. You know, we've discussed that um, I, meaningful winning builds culture, right? That was my whole thing. Like winning and in, in seasons where you're not, when you win at the end of a Joe judge season, like 2020, that's not building culture. You're out of it. You're winning these dumb games. No one cares about, but when you're winning to go to the playoffs and you win a playoff game that that can, but also more importantly, I want to see what Jones has in the playoffs. I want to see if there's a second level Jones can get. To. That's my biggest reason right now, Nick, for wanting to get to the playoffs. It's not, the delusion of grandeur can they're going to win the super bowl everything's great we're an amazing team all we need is a receiver it's i want to see what jones is like in the playoffs i want a sample size of at least one game with daniel jones before making the decision like because with eli man he took it to such a different level in the playoffs and that's he's not the only quarterback in nfl history eli manning who's been a playoff hero and been like excellent in the playoffs and like come to play that playoff game and give his best and somehow like rise to the occasion jones could be that guy we don't know we've never seen it it's my biggest reason for wanting to get to the playoffs. So if Beckham helps them get there, it might be worth the long-term risk to get that short-term kind of like sample, that information, the data. Another reason why I do lean towards, I don't know if Joe Shane will do this. It's like you already yeah. have one of those contracts on your book at that same exact <laughs> position, bro. And at you that, can't really get out. Like they'll get out of it next year, but it's going to be like 12 more dead cap, million dead cap next year just to get out yeah. of it. And and that's, and again, it's Dallas that you're bidding against. And you know, know Jerry Jones is going to do everything in his power, which is so freaking crazy too, because if Odell Beckham Jr. signs with the Dallas Cowboys, it's going to crush New Giants York Giants fans. Yeah. Like, like, his, like, Odell Beckham's perception from Giant fans right now is just teetering back and forth, depending <laughs> on whatever, whichever decision he makes. And, you know, that does make a ton of sense. But without Wondell Robinson now, man, it's even a more dire need at the wide receiver position. And Odell Beckham can fix it for this season, certainly, if he's healthy. Let's talk about the offensive line. You touched on it. I want to start with... So I think one thing you mentioned, which is still true, like you talked about how, 
you know, they were slanting some of their defensive linemen. They were doing things to take away the run game. Part of it to me is continuity on the offensive line. Part of it is the loss of Daniel Bellinger. And I really think it like weighs so much have more heavily specifically in the run blocking game. But what do you make of the injuries today? Because, and first of all, let's, bef- before we talk about the injuries, what do you make of the original decision here? Azudu dealing with a little bit of a back injury, but practices tells reporter. I think he told Dan Duggan, I'm feeling good for this week. Giants still decide to go with Shane Lemieux as the starter. And then Shane Lemieux looks pretty much to me like I have to see the film, but from the broadcast angle, it was when he, when that first sack, he gave up, it was literally like I was watching a copy of Shane Lemieux as a rookie. And then I thought to myself, oh yeah, this was a fifth round pick who is not that doesn't really have the natural athleticism. Like this is a, this was, it was a natural athleticism sack. I mean, you could say maybe he was slow out of the stance. The technique was bad. I don't know. I'd have to look at the film. But to me, it felt like I was watching the exact same thing from his rookie season. It looked really bad. Now, I don't, you know, I'm going to try to pull this up for the YouTube audience. Here's the sack that Dan is referring nice. to against Aleem McNeil. Look at us improving technology on this show. Yeah, let's see. So they're <laughs> going to circle him and watch. I am not 100% certain if Shane Lemieux, and I'll answer your question after we break down this play real quick. If Shane Lemieux expected John Feliciano to help him here. Now, Shane Lemieux is going up against a three technique, and John Feliciano has what appears to be a two technique or a two-eye technique over the top of Mark Lewinsky. It makes sense that John Feliciano would pay more attention to that two-eye or that two technique. It just looks like Shane Lemieux oversets a little bit, and then watch. It's that power move. What do we always talk about with Shane Lemieux, Dan? Power moves is what killed him back yep. in 2020. And right here, Aline McNeil does a great job opening up towards the midline and then just using that inside hand to basically make contact with the inside arm of Shane Lemieux, right kind of where the tricep meets the elbow. And that just knocks Shane Lemieux's momentum up the arc and just provides a really easy access for Aline McNeil to get into the pocket and eventually sack Daniel Jones right here. But in terms of... And there were two over routes that he could have hit there if he had a little bit of time. And I think he would have too, because they were open. Like, look, yep. it looks like man coverage right there. You have one rat in the hole in the middle of the field, but you have those, you have a dig route and a, and a horizontal cross that both open right there. There's about a half yard of separation, which is plenty if you hit them in stride with them running across the field. But in terms of Shane Lemieux starting, look, I'm going to trust the coaching staff who are with these players all week. I don't know, you know, what's going on in practice. I would imagine that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka know much better on who's the best player to play every Sunday. Let's get right. the screen right here. So that's my take on that. But I will say after watching Shane Lemieux in this game, because this wasn't the only bad play, the play before this was, was another one where Aline McNeil just swum over the top of him and separated in like a second. I am full on team Josh Zudu over Shane Lemieux. I don't even think this experiment should happen anymore. Shane Lemieux should be the backup and only play of Josh Zudu who has his own mistakes in his own right. The only time Shane Lemieux should see the field is if Josh Azudu is injured or or whatnot. Now, Ben Bredesen, that's a whole nother conversation. True. But what we saw from Shane Lemieux in this game was was pretty bad. And there was a reason why he ended up getting benched. You can even tell in the in the press conference with Brian Dable. He didn't want to say, yeah, Shane Lemieux sucked. But he was <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we, we, we tried him out there and we got Josh snaps later. You know, we got Josh snaps later. It's like, yeah, well, you got Josh snaps later because Shane Lemieux sucked. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because... I want to look over the play you were referencing earlier because I think there were, to me, what interested me, what I really want to see on film before his benching was, I didn't think he was that effective as a run blocker. There were a couple plays in the run game where I was like, what the hell is that? And I remember just from seeing the broadcast. And I'll have to check it on the film. Because if he's not, 
One of yeah, them I, I know exactly. Sorry for cutting you off. One of yep. them I know exactly the one you're referencing. That was on John Feliciano, though. Okay. It was a double team to the like a halfback stretch type of play. And it was a double team. And for whatever reason, John Feliciano came off the double team and left Shane Lemieux, who was kind of climbing to the play side linebacker. Yep. And they both just kind of abandoned him. But I felt that was like that one. was yep. much, much more on John Feliciano okay. than it was on Shane Lemieux. That's why it's good to see the film or just talk to yeah. you because I'll learn the true culprit. But in general, I didn't feel like I was getting Look, the Giants run game yeah. went nowhere. And when he was in the game and in general, but also when he was in the game, he's not like at least the great run block. Cause look, as was making some really good plays in the run game these past few weeks as a run blocker. So if he's not at least that or better and honestly better then there is no, I agree with you. There is really no reason to experiment. And I'm okay with them doing these things like experimenting. I like that they think outside the box and they give a lot of different people like reps at different positions on the offensive line just to kind of see and get some data and some film to look at. And you might luck into it. Like there was in their minds, probably at least a non-zero chance that they would have had an insanely good game from Shane Lemieux. The film was great. He didn't make the same errors that Azudu made that they kept seeing and trying to correct with Azudu. And he's a rookie. You can expect that from Azudu. And they could have been like, all right, well, we tried it out and we were right and not that we were right we learned some information Lemieux is a better option we'll start him moving forward unfortunately it looks like we'll look at this film and we'll be like and they'll probably be like no we tried that out and it wasn't right and that shouldn't surprise anyone Shane Lemieux was a fifth round pick for a reason Josh Azudu was a third round pick for a reason Josh Azudu has an insanely higher ceiling to me from an athletic standpoint and a functional athleticism standpoint than Shane Lemieux so I'm not with you and it's not even close. And that's yeah. okay. Fans, a lot of fans made this fiction story about Lemieux up, and it's okay. Like, I understand getting excited about every player on this roster. It's fun to get excited, even about these late fifth round picks, but it's the NFL. Most of these day three offensive linemen are busts for the most part. And he had some good reps as a run blocker as a rookie, some way worse reps as a pass blocker, in my opinion. That's kind of the overall net net with Lemieux as a rookie. Pretty good in the run game, horrific in the pass game. So to me, that's not even anything to really worry about missing out on. So they tried it out. It didn't work. They're probably going with Zuda moving forward. Let's talk about center because Feliciano got injured in this game. On his postgame presser, he talked about playing through the injury. He said, I fought for as long and hard as I could, meaning he played through this injury. And he's like, we'll see what happens with Thanksgiving. I'll do everything I can to get on the field. I would bet he's not going to be on the field. But who replaced him, Nick? That's the interesting part. It's our boy, Nick Gates. And so that was awesome to see, in my opinion, Nick Gates at center. And quite frankly, Nick, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie to you here. This is nothing. I don't know how to say this in a fair. Let me say this in a way that's not going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the best for John Feliciano with his health. But if he has to miss a game, and is this one coming up because he needs more time, I'm not going to shed a tear that I get to see Nick Gates out there because to be quite frank, honest with you, if it was up to me, I would put Nick Gates out there to see what we have for 2023. Mostly. Can we rely on Nick Gates as the starting center for 2023? Or do we want to go back to that? Well, I'm not a huge fan of Feliciano for 2023. My focus is not just on 2022, but 2023, it could be like the Lemieux situation. They put Gates in. He's horrible. He makes mistakes. They go back to Feliciano. Fine. I'm okay with that. But quite frankly, right now, Nick, I think I would prefer to see Gates at center, at least for right now. I think for this game, definitely, because John Feliciano, and we'll have to confirm all of this on the All-22, but he looked like he was struggling and he was playing through a neck injury. So just sit this one out, heal your neck up. Let's see what Nick Gates can do at center. That That's what I would hope happen. And that's not me saying that I hope John Feliciano is injured. No. I just don't know if he's going to be fully freaking healthy to actually play to this highest potential. And Nick Gates might add something a little bit different and bring something else to this offensive line. Now, 
what's going to happen? Is Nick Gates fully up to speed with this offense, all that other stuff? I mean, I'm imagining it is we're in what this is week 11. So more than likely, I know that John Feliciano was important in terms of continuity on this offensive line, but if he's injured, let's get the healthy guy out there and hope that the giants can strike some lightning in a bottle right now, because these last couple games, man, I mean, not Houston, cause Houston's like a terrible run defense, but Seattle and then this game, the Giants' rushing attack has just been absolutely shut down. And in both of those games, both losses, the Giants didn't really do much passing the football when it actually mattered. The Giants passed the football a lot in the second half, and it looked pretty good. You know, there were some good plays where I was a like, good throw by Daniel yeah, Jones, know, yeah. good read by Daniel Jones, you know, great route by Darius Slayton. But at the end of the day, we're not seeing the rushing attack and the passing attack thrive together. We had never seen time. that at the same time, other than um, play action passing attack. I feel like Jacksonville, we saw that, but not the drop back passing game. I know what you're, yeah. you're saying just the drop back because they had a lot of play action. They had a boot. I just felt like the offense, I think they had 450 yards against Jacksonville in that game of offense. I felt like the off, maybe I'm misremembering. I just felt like the offense was clicking basically the whole game, but I could very well be misremembering that game too, as far as the passing game goes. I know the running game because Jones had a lot of rushing yards in that game, right? Barkley had a lot well, of That shooting. was the big Daniel Jones rushing, yeah, rushing day. Bar- and Bar- Barkley went over 100 too, right? Yeah. Yeah, Barkley had 110 yards yeah. on the ground, throwing Daniel Jones only threw for 202 yards. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yep, you're right. But I mean, look, both Jones and Barkley went over 100 on rushing. Yeah, yeah. rushing. Yeah. So you're right. There still hasn't been that game yet this year. I really thought before the wins thing, and honestly, I didn't even feel like the wins were as bad as they thought. Like everyone's like, oh, the wins are going to be so bad in this game. I felt like Jones, and at first it looked like the quarterbacks weren't going to complete any passes. Like Goff's first drive, those throws were so off. It looked like the win was taken. But Jones, the win didn't really affect him much all game, I thought. He had some pretty damn good throws on the run, uh, Daniel Jones. And so it was, to me, this was the matchup for him. And we even saw it, man. Like this, this was the deep, this was the worst pass defense, in my opinion, the Giants faced all season long. They did good things to stop the run game today, whatever. But this was the worst pass defense. And I, it was noticeable on film. Obviously, Wandell went over 100. You talked about nine for 100. Slayton also almost hit 100. Jones threw for by far and away the most. I know a lot of it was garbage, but even in the first half, he threw for like, what, 150? He was still, or maybe like 135. It was the high ones in the first half. So we this was by far our best passing game. Jones um, was cooking up until that Aiden Hutchinson. Yes, I know. I think yep. he was like seven of eight. He was connecting. He was quick. He was decisive. I almost texted you before he threw that interception. Dude, I was like, dude, Jones looks really freaking good. And then yep. the interception happened off the play action. Just didn't account for Aiden Hutchinson, who had a really good game. I and mean, he found a fumble recovery later after Isaiah Hodgins put it on the deck. And I felt terrible for Isaiah Hodgins. Me too. The football kid. I, I, I always hate those plays, dude, because for me, it's like, you can slow it all down like they're going to do on that replay. And you see like, oh, yes, he caught the ball. He took three steps and then he fumbled it. But when that's in real time, it's bang, bang. And like oh, as yeah. a receiver, you're like you catch, you turn your body and then the hit is on the ball. Like it is so much harder than it looks to hold on the ball, in my opinion, in those situations. Like I think there are other worse fumbles like tonight. Keenan Allen's fumble, for example, was a bad fumble, like oh, or a worse Jared version. McKinnon's, of that fumble. Yeah. Jared McKinnon's is a horrible fumble. Like to me, there are a bit different versions of the fumble. The one where you catch it, turn your body and right when you're turning your body, the hit is on it. And it's like you don't even really have ch- a chance to see it. Then it fumbles. Those are always to me like it's it's harder for me to get as mad about those ones. Um, but it does suck because it fucked it screwed them up. Like, and it came right after the best throw of the game by Jones. That third and 15 that Jones converted was one of my favorite Jones throws definitely of the entire season, maybe over the four years, because it was third and 15. 
He's pressure on immediately. Instead of doing what he always, always done that screwed him, roll all the way to the right to the point where you're just like running toward the sideline. There's nothing there and you throw it out of bounds. He reset himself in the pocket, knew he was going to have an opportunity with that deep end and just ripped that freaking thing. And that thing traveled like 20 yards on a line to the receiver's hands, perfectly pinpoint ball placement. But obviously what I love most is that he didn't roll all the way right and reset and found a new passing lane within the pocket. But either way, that was like one of my favorite Jones does. And right away was that Hodgins fumble. Just like, come on. Yeah, Jones had a couple of those. It, it was unfortunate. It was that a weird game, Jones game. He had some great yeah. plays, and then he had two hard, like two no. backbreaking type plays. Now, the one was a fourth down. It was an overthrow. So I'm more upset with the accuracy on that. Maybe the sure. all 22 will come out and will say, oh, wow, maybe the route was supposed to be angled this way. Who knows, right? But did Either it look way. to you like there was a different route on the deep post potential? I thought in, in broadcast huh. there was a chance to throw the deep post into space. I, I honestly, I didn't see it. So that's yeah, something that we're going to have to, yeah. we'll have to get to, but yeah, the offense overall, I mean, they just can't run the football right now. I mean, Saquon Barkley had like what, I think 10 carries for 18 yards in the first half or something. And didn't like face that. any, and by the way, face light boxes. I know that was the I weird know. part from what I can tell. And again, all 22 will really show it. It looked like they were just slanting right at the line of scrimmage, similar to what Houston was doing. And that just screwed up the continuity of the double teams. And it usually led to penetration. And then once the penetration happened, it was endgame, which is uh, something that a lot of people can relate to. And it's crazy because it's like you never think that these tight ends are going to make that much of a difference. And yet they are right from the continuity standpoint. When you have a guy like Bellinger and Myrick out there and mostly Bellinger, you're losing so much without having him on the field from the blocking standpoint and from that continuity standpoint. And obviously the O-line injuries then play in that, too. It just was a total mess in the run game, unfortunately, for the Giants in this one. As we move forward, Nick, I would like to personally see a little bit more of Matt Breida. We talked earlier. What's the what's the uh, like uh, what's the uh, what's what's it called? What's the maximized eleven personnel? We had discussion. I thought it was a good one. For me, I'm like, let's mix in some more twenty one. Why do I say that? Because every time Breida touches the ball, he's pretty electric with it. And we just lost someone who's electric in Wandell. I'm not personally a huge fan of James's quote unquote electricity. I think, like you said, he's a smart receiver who can like get some layup throws from them, but I want to get some actual electricity and speed on the field. And he's not just electricity speed. I feel like Brita has, has good vision and he does a good job like maximizing yards. So I'll be curious if they start to do more of those, you know, jet motion with Brita, have some more of the 21 personnel with Brita on the field. Yeah, same here. I mean, I don't know if they'll go out there too much with 21. It seems like they're only doing that on like third, yeah, fourth and short sure. type of situations. And again, I saw Matt Brita out there. I saw him run that jet motion behind. And I was like, ah, oh, I know what this play is going to be. We and saw so that. today, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Lions yeah, penetrated it. and Brita just made an insane move, basically. It was a nice cut right back up the nice field. Cut. I like that because he's a, he's a good playmaker when you get the football in his hands. You just don't want to give that guy, you know, 15 carries a game every game because I don't know if he would hold up. If you remember back when he was with San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan, he had a lot of injury issues. Right. But in the role that he's in right now with the New York Giants, he's excellent. That That's, that's a great player to have in that type of role. I want to ask you about two more things on the offense. I know we've already spent this whole podcast essentially talking offense, which sucks. We always do this. Never give enough time to the defense. We never can. We, we credit the defense in the all 22s. You get a whole podcast, but it's so much. I think the top, the offense just has more to talk about right now, but there are two more things that I've heard from people that I want to get your takes on. So the first one would be what's going on with why can't we get Barkley more involved in the passing game? Any thoughts on that? I think one reason is because he's in protection a lot of the time. Yep. Yeah, and I also think Jones does a good job keeping his eyes downfield and reading 
deep to short. The Giants usually design the checkdown option to not be Saquon Barkley. It's usually Lawrence Cager or a tight end chip release, or there is some sort of shallow type of route from the number three receiver that Jones can work to if he doesn't like what he sees deep. In terms of Saquon Barkley, a lot of times, man, the Giants are in six-man protection. They don't want to be in five-man protection because they don't trust the interior parts of their offensive line. How many times, even in this game, did Jones not like what he saw? He brings Saquon Barkley over. He kind of puts him in the A gap or he puts him in the B gap, points out a defender. Saquon Barkley is not going to be a part of your passing attack if he's in the B gap taking a blitzer on a lot of the time. So that's one reason why we haven't seen it. We haven't really seen it for a little bit now, right? I mean, I think he had some some garbage time against Seattle where he operated as a wide receiver. But other than that, Green Bay game was like the big game where like, oh, we got Saquon Barkley involved. I don't even think he had like a ton of yards, but he had that one really long catch, yeah. right? And that was uh, that was awesome. He's had a couple other moments like that. But if you go back to week one against Tennessee, he had like seven catches or something in that game. Right. At least six. He might have had like seven targets, but he was really involved as a receiver. We haven't seen that because they need to use him in protection. And he's doing a good job of protection too, which is another – great sign of encouragement because that was a part of his game that we used to chastise all the time rightfully so right now he is really really crisp in pass protection yeah he really is and you nailed nick it really for me was the hurting point with that was like week three when i started to see that really flip and change like they were like ah ah, crap this is you know we've done some things we've had some competitions this offensive line but we're not quite there yet in year one of this regime rebuild so we need to use him to help in pass pro especially when he's performing the way you're saying at that high level in pass pro so that's part of it but i do think like this was an opportunity this was a man heavy team this was an op you want the other thing is like you need the defense playing man to really utilize saquon barkley as a receiver especially because i feel like he's i don't want to say limited as a receiver but he's certainly not the kind of receiving back that people think he is or should be he's not alvin kamara he's not anything like that as a route runner that's the thing with saquon but he does win on the inside with those two-way routes like right on a linebacker but you need man coverage for that and Detroit was giving them, but like you said, you got to use him protection. So I think that one's pretty cut and dry for the most part. It's just simply they need him in protection right now. As far as the second part goes that I've been hearing a lot of, I want to get your take on. Should we be second guessing Kafka? Should we be giving criticism to Kafka? Did Kafka call bad game? What about that third and five run call? Yada, yada, like all those things. What were your thoughts on where on Kafka's game? Should we be giving? We haven't really criticized him. Even like last week, like some people are like, I've been thinking Kafka's bad for a few games now. Where do we haven't, I guess, really felt that way. I don't want to speak for you, Nick, but we haven't talked about it, at least on the podcast. I don't know if you thought that and haven't voiced it or anything like that. So you can let me know. But should we be? Have we missed it in the past? Or can we make up for it by now? Should we criticize today's game plan? I personally we'll, we'll get. Let me ask you first. I'm not fully on board with the criticism. I think the fact that you weren't scoring points that's enough to criticize you, but I don't have, I feel like the information that I want right now without watching the all 22 to levy the type of criticism that I may, if I had a more comprehensive outlook on what actually was going on on the football field. So I think I'm going to wait until we watch the all 22 to come out with that. Well, let me ask you about the, the Seattle and Houston game. Then did you feel like we missed anything there? Seattle? Yes. And I think we did criticize. criticize, Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it was just that you can't get the, the passing game going. Now they ran a lot of cover too, which isn't something that you usually, I think relate to Pete Carroll. I believe they ran a lot of cover too. And the only kind of, 
passing attack that they established was those deep curls. And there were times on third downs where I felt like Kafka was just running deep curls. And we've even said it like, ah, look, a little ode to Jason Garrett right here. And that was even in the Houston game as well. So I feel like we have criticized him a little bit, but it hasn't been full blown type of criticism. And I'm not sitting here saying that it should be full blown criticism right now. Like in this game, there was a, it was just a bad timing, really like Daniel Jones throwing that interception giving Jamal Williams a short field. They punched it in. And then the Giants had a third and five slant. Daniel Jones kind of overthrew Wandale Robinson a little bit. Was our contact maybe a little bit should have been called. I don't know. But they punted the football and the Giants defense capitulated again, score another touchdown. And then Detroit receives the kickoff, score another touchdown. And now you're in a freaking huge hole. Yeah, at 24 that point. to six at that point, right? 24 to six at that point. So yeah, I think you can like criticize your offense for not getting it done. But I think it's, easier said than done. I'm not, I don't really know of the exact situations where I'm like, ah, oh, Mike Kafka, you really screwed up there. So I, I don't want to uh, just, you know, cast those aspersions just to do it, you know? Yeah. Especially if like we look at the film and that third and five call that people hate, it's like, well, this was a good box to run at and it was the right call. They just screwed up two blocks in the interior. Like, what if we see that on film? Then I don't know if I can blame the play caller who calls the play. Why can't I, why shouldn't I blame the two offensive linemen or the offensive lineman, the tight end who didn't execute their block? on an easy play where you had the advantage in the box. So those are the types of things I think you're right when you see the tape. Um, but as far as the game goes, one thing that we're going to have to push off to the film, the offense film podcast, Nick, is a Daniel Jones evaluation. We don't have time for it because it was a really interesting game because there were a lot of really good throws. He threw for the most yards of the year. He made a lot of plays. But one thing that's so much harder to put a value on because it's worth so much more are those interceptions. Like you mentioned it after that interception, then the whole game changed. And it was a very bad interception by him. So it's like that has to be valued with such a high weight. Um, and he's cut those down this year. That was the first one since the Jacksonville that was called back by the rough and the passer. Um, and really since the Sills one, as far as officially goes. And so, honestly, yeah, you can all go all the way back to the egregious one to Saquon Barkley in Tennessee. Cause the Sills one is like, yeah, it's going to count against his stats, but Daniel Jones didn't do anything wrong on that play. David Sills right. just tripped over his own feet coming out of his break on the deep dig. And then now we see in a game like this, what it can do to you, these kinds of turnovers. I think that's why a lot of people were fairly, you know, giving him praise throughout the season for lowering the turnover number as it deserved praise for. And then even after today, it's still a very low number and he deserves a lot of praise for that because overall, at least it is still obviously not in this game. And that's why they lost this game, but you can see what kind of impact it has. It kills momentum and it makes it really hard to win the game when you're feeding points off these turnovers, obviously. So we'll get to that later, but let's flip it to the defense because we've gone a lot on the offense already. What was your take on the defensive performance overall today? Take on the defensive performance overall, not good. The the rushing attack of the Detroit Lions, I think they ended up with 160 yards, and it was Justin Jackson who I think had the most yards of any of the running backs. And then Jamal Williams had the three touchdowns. DeAndre Swift found the end zone. I felt like the defense got put into some crappy positions, i.e., the interception by Daniel Jones on the short field. Like that's not great, but the red zone defense was horrendous. And I felt like the offensive line of the Detroit Lions, the best offensive line the New York Giants have played this season, in my opinion, won the trenches, especially, typically, laterally. And I felt like the linebackers were a pretty big problem again. And I think once we watch the All-22, we're going to be pissed off at certain players on this defense. Yeah, yeah, I think it's funny. Sometimes we think just like so alike on this. We didn't. I promise you, Nick and I did not talk about this before the podcast, but that is exactly where I would, my mind went to the linebacker play. And I think for me, Nick, this game 
completely solidified that all fans were wrong, that the wide receiver was the biggest weakness on this roster. Linebacker is and always has been the biggest re- re- weakness on this roster on film. Today, we had two really great performances by receivers. We basically never had a great performance by any of these linebackers. Jalen Smith had an okay to pretty good game against a crap Texans team. Great. But besides that one game, I think Crowder had one good game earlier this season, too, that I'm forgetting. Bears. The Bears yeah. game. Crowder had a great Bears game. We've had, like, two, one great performance by a linebacker, Crowder versus the Bears. One like mediocre to good performance again by a full performance by a linebacker, Jalen Smith last week, and then some really bad ones, Jacksonville and today. And to me, by far and away, linebacker is a bigger hole on this roster than wide receiver. Now that I mean, it's different now with Wandell injured, but with Slayton playing the way he's playing, and with Wandell playing until the injury the way he was playing, so it's an issue. Like you said, like I even saw some plays that we've seen all year, the pin pull, and it's like, ah, shit, the Lions running pin pull, and I could see it in my head as it's developing. I'm like, there it is. We're getting killed by this again. But one thing I will say about the defense today, Nick, that stood out to me is this, more than a lot of other games, to me was on the stupid things, the dumb penalties, and Julian Love said this himself. He said what killed us on defense were the dumb penalties. He said, I didn't even really feel like we executed that much more poorly than usual, but it was a combination to, of, of the dumb penalties and what you mentioned, the red zone efficiency. They were way less efficient in red zone. But we also know from watching the game that there was a big drop-off once Dory Jackson went out of that game. The whole defense looked different. And before Dory Jackson went out of that game, the Giants had a lot of stops. They only had one drive they extended the lines. It was because of a bo- not bogus, I guess it was, roughing the passer by Shane Zimnans, but it was a well-executed third down play where the Giants got off the field and he tapped the helmet. And so now they get a free first down out of it in 15 yards. It's the NFL that happens, but that's not on the defense execution wise. So I honestly felt like a lot of what happened, a lot of the points they gave up with the exception of the first drive of the second half, where obviously it was a well-executed drive, but a lot of the points they gave up were because of the turnovers and the momentum and the being in tough spots and the offense consistently not doing anything and the defense being on the field. And so it was a bad performance. I think we'll see how bad the linebackers played. Obviously, there were issues in the secondary, but to me, this was also a circumstantial game for the G- defense as far as the poor production went. I would also say the two-minute warning for the Giants, it reminded me of Patrick Graham last year at the end of oh. the first half. Like That was rough. They went seven plays, 68 yards, and scored a touchdown, and that was, I think, Jamal Williams' second touchdown of the game, and it was really sparked by Amon Ross St. Brown on a second and two that was coming out of the two-minute warning. I could pull the play up actually right here. Oh, the missed tackle, right? Or no, that was um, later in the game. No, it was just it was just a deep play-action shot where Amon Ross St. Brown just nobody gained depth for the linebacker position, and he was just wide open. And at this point, Adore Jackson's out of the game. So you can see Micah McFadden chasing Amon Ross St. Brown there, but that this was a huge play right here, a second and two, right? They – Lions did an excellent job all game selling their play action passes. It's one of the things that we talked about a lot coming up to this game. And you could see how the Giants were fully fooled right here. You have Kayvon Thibodeau roboting. Micah McFadden is absolutely burnt here. And I think Micah McFadden is somebody we're going to watch the film and say, wow, that was a really, really bad game. He ended up getting benched for Tay Crowder. The fact that they allowed the Detroit Lions to score a touchdown there to go up 17 to six, I think was, was damning. And it was one of the reasons why I feel like the giants lost this football game. If they could have just held them to a field goal, it would have been so much more respectable, but this giants defense allowed that touchdown drive. And then another one coming out of the half. So that says a lot about kind of the state of the defense. And I think a big reason why, as you've said, is Dory Jackson not being there. 
Yeah, I even saw it early on. Like there was a missed tackle in the flat that from I think it was Rodarius. I don't remember who exactly. It's just the door he never misses. He hasn't missed it all year, and it led to like an extra eight yards, and just like second and four, and then they scored on that drive, and it would have been a second and long. It would have been like second and thirteen. And it's just like those little things you notice when a Dory's out of the game. A ball that they threw underneath that that the corner didn't break on fast enough. That I've seen a Dory break on fast a thousand out of thousand. Like every rep that he's had in that spot this year. So. You know, you'll see it as we see the film, but I think a good point you made was Micah McFadden had a bad game, and he had this opportunity today. Wake Martindale talked about during the bye week, uh, or not during the bye week, during this past week on Thursday when they had the coordinator's day, or maybe it was Friday, whatever it was, and he was like, yeah, Micah's earned this opportunity, but he's like, I've already told Tate Crowder, I want to see how you respond to this. And he's like, Tate Crowder responded in a perfect way. He came back to work and he started working and practicing and preparing exactly like he was going to be the starter, essentially. And he's like, your opportunity, and he said, do that because your opportunity could come again. Well, like you said, Nick, McFadden was benched. Crowder got his opportunity. And I'm not going to be surprised if on Thanksgiving, we see mostly a mix of Jalen Smith and Crowder. But the problem is, like, whatever it is of those three, dude, it's a massive liability, no matter what they have out there, any combination of those three. I know it, it's not great. And I'm going to show a play right now on, on YouTube as well. This is a play where I think we should give credit to the Detroit lions because their rushing attack is kind of fun here. We're going to see a, a counter run from I formation and you're going to see how Micah McFadden Jihad Ward get kicked out. And then Jalen Smith just doesn't necessarily realize where the ball is, but there's the devil to the details right here. Watch how Jared Goff opens up to his left and you have Jason Kabinda wrap around him along with the backside guard. The backside guard kicks out Jihad Ward. Jason Kabinda, the fullback, kicks out Micah McFadden, giving a nice hole right off the double team that is on Leonard Williams. And that counter element to it kind of made Jalen Smith question. You can see Jalen Smith right there. He had no idea where Jamal Williams was at this wow. point. Now, now Jalen Smith's gap is going to be off of that double team to the inside, I think, but he doesn't even know where this football is at this point. I just feel like that's a nice deceptive type of counter run right there that is really well blocked and it led to a nice nine-yard gain before Dory Jackson made the tackle. So and Back that up real quick, Nick. How many, yeah. how many times have you seen, because I haven't seen many, on film, an interior offensive lineman handle Leonard Williams like that, like they just did on that rep. Because that well, this I, is, it was a double team, though. It, it was, was a double, double team. team, but look yeah. at just, just look at how they come off this thing. And and like Lawrence as well. I mean, they're they're just taking him out of this play. Yeah, this is Penny Sewell and uh, whoever that guard is at the time. And look at Penny Sewell, how he gets so low because so Leonard low. Williams, he gets so low, gets basically hip to hip and just drives him back not even too far because Leonard Williams is a stud but that is a big enough hole for Jamal Williams to hit as we see right here yep. and it's just Jalen Smith doesn't exactly know where the football is I like the fact that Detroit had those type of power gap plays and those counter runs in their offense and now we could show a good play since everything is negative right now from Darnay Holmes who I think is one defensive player Dan who is pretty damn good in this game I would say yeah, he had Nick that one one he had the one tackle on Monroe St. Brown in the flat. And then right here, man, this was a big play on third and one. He hits DeAndre Swift before the sticks like a freaking linebacker. I will say this, though. This is a freaking terrible run by DeAndre Swift. Yeah, it was such a bad run by Swift. And you know, such a bad run. Such a bad run by. Look how bad this run is by Swift. This Dude, is insane. Cut, he doesn't get a first down here. Bro, get cut, it off, 
cut it up, bro. You have so many. Oh my gosh. For those listening on the podcast, though, I'll just say this is probably partly the reason why Jamal Williams still gets so many touches and they even mixed in a third back. I mean, there was a good rep last week's game where Swift had a really bad screen where he didn't see it, but his vision was a problem. So. He hurt the Giants a little in this game, though. Uh, as far as the defense goes, Nick, there's a lot been a lot of talk about concern about Kayvon Thibodeau. Is this just something you're going to want to see the film on to really get a better feel for? I hardly saw Kayvon Thibodeau Same. in the game. Yeah. So, And I've been uh, vocal on my support for Kayvon Thibodeau, and I think he has been a, a really solid contributor to the defense, is always in position, doing everything he needs to do. All the cliches, but I do believe they are, are true. Everything that like Wink Martindale said, praising him earlier this week, but I didn't see him at all in this game. So we're going to really have to kind of find out why that was. It wasn't like the Lions were dropping back too often in those true pass sets. A lot of their passing attack sure. was based off the play action, which Kayvon Thibodeau has to respect his rushing lane and his and his run gap responsibility. But we'll have to wait and see exactly what Pene Sewell was doing to him in this game to really just basically make him invisible. Yep. Okay, anything else on the actual game before we turn the page toward uh, Thanksgiving game and Giants versus Cowboys? No, not necessarily. Just looking forward to the All-22, and uh, hopefully the Giants can learn something from this humbling loss. Yeah, I will say, yep. I was going to say one more thing on Jamie Gillen, but we could just let that go. <laughs> Look, we just can't figure out this bunter thing, but at least we're not paying him right now. But I do think if Gillen has enough, I mean, I guess at the end he had like a couple good punts in the game, but dude, like some of his punts are just like devastatingly bad. Last week he had two nets under 20 yards, 20 and 15, and he had the awful shank in this game. Like time to try some guys out. That's where I'm at. Like after Thanksgiving, yeah. it's too short of a week. Start trying guys out and seeing what's going on because he's not, I don't think this dude is good. He's a great nickname. It's fun. Blah, blah, blah. He's not that good, though. Like, I don't care about the nickname. I want you pinning the ball with direction inside. Like, his directional kicking just kind of sucks, and then he just has random shanks. Like, it's just like, yeah. what is this? Um, So, the special teams, man, what a disaster it's been all year. This is the worst special. This is like the Tom Quinn era special teams. It's back somehow. It's okay. <laughs> I never thought it would return somehow. Um, he must be back. Some honestly, he, we, if I, if we, you know, if somebody pans to a giant sideline and gets the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, I might spit up my sweet potato. If I see, and if, and I won't be surprised if I see Tom Quinn on the sideline, like in a hat in disguise with like a mustache on trying to like hide himself because you know, John, John wants him out there. John Mara wants to employ this man for whatever reasons we don't know, but on the scenes, uh, so my tinfoil hat on, but yeah, man, I don't know. Look, I'll, I'll finish on this, Nick. Seven and three Giants, seven and three Cowboys. Let's enjoy this thing. You're going to be with your families. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. We were looking forward to this game for freaking four weeks now, and it still means just as much. We can drop the Cowboys to seven and four and get to eight and three. That would be huge. They can win. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. Maybe Micah Parsons is a little bit hurt. If that happens, don't look at me. I'm not going to shed a tear. God, we have so many injuries. I don't give a crap, to be honest. Any injury updates I hear on the Cowboys players, good. I don't care. But um, enjoy the game. Let's hope we can. It's still possible. I'm not, like, losing hope at all after this game, personally. Before we get out of here, Dan, give me a side dish, your favorite side dish for Thanksgiving. We might do a question like this for every yeah. podcast leading up to Thanksgiving. And I'm sure you have some nice takes. We ha might have to. Um, There's a lot of great options here. I mean, in general, I love stuffing. That's like the best of the sides for me. But as far as just the favorite side dish goes, I have to go back to like what my grandma made forever when I was young. And at first it was like such a fun surprise for our family. Like, at least for me as a young kid, that sweet potato, like casserole with the marsh toasted marshmallows on top. Oh, it's just yo. like, 
the no, best air hug over the internet. You like that too? I love that stuff. Oh, man. I wouldn't think I would not thought yeah. you would eat that with a sugar cat. It's a, it's a high sugar yeah. dish. Thanksgiving, I try and I get criticized by my family. <laughs> I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving this year, but I get criticized by my family for like, dude, you just got to enjoy yourself. <laughs> it's one of those days of the year. It's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, and it's my birthday. And all those are, they're not far away from each other. So, you know, I might gain like two pounds during that. Work <laughs> my ass off, getting, getting, <laughs> shedding that stuff, you know? Yeah, it, that'll be a temporary gain, if anything. But yeah, that's what that the sweet potato with the mar toasted marshmallows is great. But anyway, we'll talk Thanksgiving. We'll talk this week's going to be a little different. We got the Cowboys game Thursday. So we're going to do the film breakdowns Monday, Tuesday, and then probably just try to get a preview in. And that might be it for this week as far as content goes. The preview would be Wednesday. Um, and then we'll obviously we'll talk to you Thursday night after the game, but otherwise have a great rest of your week. As always, if you want to support the show, like, and subscribe to our, our YouTube page, just type in big blue banter. You'll see the logo. Let's help build that. We want to get over. I think we're almost over 2k subscribers. We want that number to be way higher though. Like we're on the early stages. We want to build this out. Look, draft season's coming and we can't wait to get film up and do like crazy draft content for you, but we need help. We need to build that page. So please help us. If you haven't already there, as always, make sure you download the podcast version of this. And you listen not just listen, hit download, uh, subscribe there as well. iTunes or Spotify rating review. If you haven't already would really help us too. And that's the whole spiel. So otherwise have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.